Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. I'm Kurt Heelan, managing editor of the NBA page with you as always. And today, Dan Feldman's here. We're going to just start breaking down. We're back. Basketball is back. I mean, okay, they're scrimmages. They're they're going to be a little sloppy, and we're going to see a lot of the end of the bench. It's still actual NBA basketball from the bubble leading up to games starting in a week. We're going to get all that talking about uh, all the news and notes around the NBA. Uh, first, I just wanted to talk to you for a second. Look, you know July 23rd marks one year out from the Tokyo Olympics? The world will come back together to celebrate competition, unity, and the triumph of the human spirit as the best athletes on the earth, frankly, including a bunch of NBA players, pursue a dream delayed. The Tokyo Games will begin on next, June, next July on NBC Sports. And with that reminder, let's just get back into the NBA stuff. Dan, how you doing? Welcome to the uh, Pro Basketball Talk podcast, Long Delayed. <laughs> I am good. How are you hanging in? I, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, it's. I'm just excited to talk about basketball, so let's start by talking about something that's actually not basketball really quick. The biggest news of the last 48 hours has been that uh, Glenn Taylor seems to have seriously this time, Dan, not, not temporarily, but seriously this time, Planned to sell the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, multiple people are lining up to buy it, but I kind of think it's a good thing for the league um, to have a new owner and some fresh blood in there. That's probably a good thing for the Timberwolves, if it is real. Now, I, I will say this, it does seem real, but in the yeah. other times he supposedly looked into selling, it did seem real in those moments, too. Uh, yeah. For whatever reason, it didn't happen. And so... I, I'm in a little bit of wait and see mode, but you know, Glenn Taylor, look at the the run he's had. The Timberwolves have been pretty lousy throughout it. Uh, only once, only in one season, have they advanced past the first round. Uh, it's just one playoff berth, and was it like the last decade and a half now? Uh, and then they got bounced in the first round. And that's when they had to bring in Jimmy Butler and sacrifice uh, so much about what they had going on. Uh, just have Jimmy Butler drag him there, and then he wanted out. Like yeah. it's not sustainable. This this was a a team that has mostly been poorly run under Taylor. Mostly, I think that they've been. A, it's been interesting under Gerson Rosas. They like you said, they've just been very aggressive the last couple of years. They're trying to build a team around. Well, I think we can. You and I agree. Carl Anthony Towns is a guy you would want to be part of what you're building around. D'Angelo Russell. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, in some ways, I feel that about way about Towns. I absolutely think Towns is somebody you want to build around, but I'm also not certain it's going to work out. He's got some bad yeah. habits, and maybe he'll work. Like, he's got all the talent. That's why I'm certain I'd love to build around him if my team could, but it's not like it's a guaranteed success. Like, there, there's a reason he's won only with Jimmy Butler. Yeah, I. I... I think there's something to that. There's a mul- I, I don't think we're going to dive too deep here because these things will shift. The Minnesota Timber, the Wolf family the, that owns the Minnesota Vikings seems very interested. There's been ultimately other teams. There have been reports, though, he got offers for more money from people willing to that, that were looking to move the team out of Minnesota, and he shot those down. Look, I don't think he's going to sell to any. This is a former senator of Minnesota who saved the team from – they, they were going to get moved, right? Like they were in line to potentially be a team in New Orleans back in the uh, mid nineties. He kept them in Minnesota. He's not going to let them leave now. Uh, I'd be, I, whatever happens, I think the team stays. It's just a question of which, you know, who takes over. I know 
obviously the sexy name is to have Kevin Garnett's group do it. I'm just not sure who's in Kevin Garnett's group and if they can put together a big enough, serious enough offer. Yeah, it's funny that we're calling it Kevin Garnett's group because we don't know who else is in it, but we pretty much know that that the other people in it are contributing more financially. Like, it, yeah. it, it probably shouldn't be called the Kevin Garnett group, but he's famous. He's he's the face of it, and so it is. Yeah, exactly. He could get a couple of billionaires in and uh, and make a bit. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. I think this plays out over weeks and months. So. We'll move on to the stuff on the court, which starts today. A lot of interesting stuff as we head into this, Dan. Russell Westbrook back today in Houston, but it kind of leads to an interesting question. We've had a couple of players already had to leave the bubble. Zion had to leave. Uh, Patrick Beverly and Montrez Harrell from the Clippers. Others, uh, Other people decided not to come. I, in your mind, of all the players who are not there, which missing player is going to have the biggest impact? Well, so, so uh, I'm going to take the question as uh, somebody who's not expected to get there, right? Like, I'm not including okay. Zion, who sounds like he's going to come back. I'm not including Patrick Beverly, who sounds like he's going to come yeah. back. Uh, so somebody who's just gone for the whole thing. I've got a little bit of an unconventional answer, I think. For me, I think it's Bojan Bogdanovic with the Jazz. Uh, because he, uh, That's a big one, yeah. He's a good player having a really nice year. He fits in with how they play. Uh, he's, he works defensively. He's added the scoring punch they need, the, the perimeter shooting. And the Jazz, if they were at full strength and everything was clicking, like I would have considered them on the fringe of championship contention, the type of team that with all the right breaks could win a title. Uh, not likely to, but at least possible. I think the roster without Bogdanovich is probably a little too depleted for that. I'm not sure they have that high of a ceiling without him. And that could be very costly. Uh, with the rift between Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, like winning makes people feel better about their teammates. Losing brings out the worst in any problems. And, and so if the Jazz uh, stumble in, in the playoffs this year, if they lose in the first round, which looks increasingly likely, the long-term effects could be uh, real tough for the franchise. It could be. I think that it puts a little more pressure on the on the. I get if of the two you're trading Gobert probably right his contract is up and just it's harder to find wing guard type players like Donovan he's younger um he I both are popular in Utah but Donovan's incredibly popular there I think you'd end up building around Donovan but I, I'm not sure that they do that in the short term I got a feeling this is going to be a weird offseason where you're not going to see the kind of blockbuster moves necessarily just because of the financial situation I got a feeling you're going to see maybe some coaches stay that might not have otherwise. And teams might just not, they might look at this as kind of a one, one off season and want to try next season and see if you're Utah, man, I want to roll it back get Bogdanovich back and see if we can make this thing work better than it did. Maybe. I mean, that makes sense on paper, but I think we've seen throughout NBA history, really when we start to guess, Oh, this is when teams are going to be conservative. This is when they're not going to make major moves. This is just when they're going to be content with what they are because there's limited information. It usually doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. There are opportunities to make changes, and uh, it usually happens. Yeah, I would say the conventional wisdom here is um, of the guys who are just going to be out has been Avery Bradley, right? Like You're talking about an obvious contention team with the Lakers and Wall as long as they have Anthony Davis and LeBron James healthy and functioning at 100%, they remain contenders. 
Bradley's the kind of guy who hurts them in the last two rounds, in the conference finals and the finals, providing defense and wing depth and, and solid veteran play out there. And you're replacing him with Caldwell Pope's minutes. Is you know, You're replacing him with, um, you know, Alex Caruso oh, minutes. As much as I love Caruso's energy, that's just, I liked, and I think you will, I think Frank Vogel would like to trust the veteran in those moments. Yeah, I mean, so I think Bradley's absence can go either way. I think there are plenty. I think sometimes the Lakers are over, over were overly reliant on him. He's not built for every matchup. Uh, his offense isn't as sharp as it used to be. Sometimes he can be a little bit of ball. So I think he's he's gotten rid of some of his bad offensive habits this year. Uh, but his defense also isn't the most versatile. Like he is. Locked down on the perimeter, he can be aggressive with Anthony Davis behind him. I really like how he has played defensively, but it's just not for every matchup. But they tend to play him like he's for every matchup. And so, yes, you lose the ability to play him when he would absolutely help, but you also don't risk alienating a respected veteran if there are moments you say Alex Caruso or Contavious Caldwell Pope is a better fit for this moment. Yeah. I, by the way, I'm with you. If they don't, if the Clippers don't get Patrick Beverly back, that becomes a big hit. If the Pelicans don't get Zion Williamson back, that would be a very big deal. Same with Montrezl Harrell with the Clippers. But it sounds like they're all coming back. So you know, at least for games that are going to matter. I mean, maybe they miss some of the seeding games, but uh, they. Although the Pelicans, can they afford to miss a lot of seeding games at the start? They're a little front loaded. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, it's a very tight race. Uh, to get right. into the playing games. So, no, there's not much margin for error for any of those teams, and Zion is so important to what they do. Uh, I think it's interesting we've gone through this question without really mentioning the two stars uh, who aren't playing, uh, who seemingly kind of maybe by choice, and Victor Oladipo and Bradley Beal. I, I think we can get into a gray area with injury, but it's not like a Kyrie Irving situation where, you know, this injury was definitely keeping him out. And, I'm not, it's not even a Kevin Durant situation where, where you know those two guys were at least part of of the team in Washington and Indiana. Durant never yeah. was this season for Brooklyn. Uh, for the Wizards to lose Bradley Beal is, I think, a pretty big deal. And maybe for the Pacers, lose victory over the Devo for similar reasons in that both teams have a chance to accomplish something that would satisfy them this season. Like, if the Pacers win a playoff series this year, that's a pretty nice year for them, right? They... They got younger. They retooled their roster. When the playoffs, does that be nice? Uh, if the Wizards, in a year John Wall was out, in a year so many things went wrong, if they made the playoffs, even in this wild system where they didn't probably don't actually deserve it to get in past the depleted Nets, like that would be nice for them. And Beal and Oladipo said, yeah, it doesn't mean that much to me. Yeah. I, the, the Beal one I look at a little differently, only because I just don't think the Wizards, <laughs> I just didn't see the Wizards as a threat anyway. But the Pacers were one of those teams, if Oladipo came back and started to find his form, and, and he was not quite the same guy, right? I mean, there were flashes of it the last couple of games, but he had not been the all-NBA guy since his return. If he found that form, that becomes a much more dangerous team with the way Brogdon had played um, you know, all season long. I'm, just, I'm not sure the Pacers were going to find that fast enough. Right. We'll see. I think I think next season they become very interesting. So, yeah, I, I think they're in a pretty similar spot because we couldn't know whether they were going to find that form. They are capable of winning probably one playoff series 
with the right matchup. Probably most likely to lose in the first round, but somewhere right on that edge. And I think that was going to be true whether or not Oladipo played. Right. Uh, speaking of Pacers and a team that could be up or down, like who are your surprise teams? Is there a team you're looking at or teams you've looked at and said, man, I think that they're going to surprise some teams and make a little run? So the first answer is no. Like I, I think uh, you know we're talking about predictions and we're going to write more predictions, but I think there is just yeah. so much we don't know about this after such a long layup. Uh, we don't know even you know which players are necessarily recovered, who, or even if they had coronavirus in the first place. We don't know what players are going to be available. We don't know what type of shape everybody's in. Like I think it could look very shaken up. Uh, but on an individual team basis, it's tough for me to predict somebody, but I'm going to answer your question anyway. I'm going to say it's the Mavericks. Uh, I think they're yeah. a good team. I think they were better than their record. Uh, their offense is spectacular. They have good depth, which I think could be really important here as players are working their way into shape. I'm not sure teams are going to be able to rely on their stars to play those big postseason minutes like in a normal year. So I think Dallas's depth could be an asset, although they've had uh, some players out uh, by choice, by injury, that cuts into the depth. But I still think it's a deep enough team, well-coached. Rick Carlisle is so good at bringing yeah. in different players and finding a role for them, like getting guys who fit and getting putting them in position to succeed. Like He makes the most out of the depth, too. Uh, Luca is a star. Uh, Porzingis is getting further removed from his injury. Uh, so I, I think that's a, a team that is more dangerous than the record they bring into the bubble. Who do you have? I have the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, you know, I, I'm with you, by the way, on Dallas. I think Dallas is a sneaky, dangerous team that like the Clippers would probably like to avoid in the first round, <laughs> like having to deal with Luca. But I think Oklahoma City is just better than people realize they got off to a slow start over the last 15 games before the break 11 and four um really one of the best clutch teams in the nba they they, they don't have the net rating they don't have the raw numbers of this team that's got a, another gear that is somehow going to explode but they win close games chris paul has been phenomenal in close games and clutch moments and you're just going to get a lot of those in the playoffs and maybe there's some luck in there but i like that team in a I don't, again, in a first round matchup, I don't know that any, I, I still think it's Lakers and Clippers. So I don't think anybody gets past those two in the second round, but I think Oklahoma city is going to be a much tougher out than people realize. Uh, I, I, I just like the way they've been built and coached this year. I, I like the thunder a lot too. I do think there is some luck in those clutch moments, but there's something to it, right? When they play those three point guards together, Chris Paul, Shea Gilgis, yeah. Alexander, Dennis Schroeder, uh, you know, you have the ball handlers, you have the decision makers, guys who are comfortable in those moments. And that's part of the reason they're so good in the clutch. I like them. I just don't think this is a, a high ceiling team. I think the Thunder are a very high floor team. I really like how they've maximized what they do. Like, they play smart, they play hard, they play with pride. You know, they do all those good things that, that I admire but I'm not sure they have that top-end talent right now to, to really raise their ceiling and be a threat deep in the playoffs. Uh, but they're going to be hard out for whoever plays them. They're not going to give in. They're, they're going to put up a real fight. No, I think, I think, it's, I think they're going to be a fun team to watch. I'm not – obviously in the East, the team is Philadelphia becomes the, the high variance. I'm just not totally sure what's going to happen. But, wow, if this whole thing comes together, they're a dangerous team. And I, I – They've been discussed by a lot of people in a lot of places. I'm not sold on a roster that, A, I, 
is this a home game for them or a road game? Like, what is this going to be for them? Because they were 29 and two at home, and I think it was 10 and 24 on the road. It's also, you know, they're playing I on paper, moving Ben Simmons to the four, having him work more off the ball, having Shake Milton as the ball handler and point guard sounds great. That starting lineup with once you throw in, you know, obviously Embiid, but also Tobias Harris and Josh Richardson, they've played zero minutes together. Zero. Is that so discouraging? I, I just I, I think you need to build up some chemistry. I think you need to have guys play together a little bit over the course of a season. Yeah, they're sixth in the East with a roster that's way more talented than sixth in the East because the, the combinations they've been using haven't really worked well together. I, I'm fine for trying to change. I like, you know, I'm with you. The 76ers are such a high variance team. They have the talent. They haven't put it together. So, yeah, sure, try something new. But there is going to be a fundamental issue that as good as Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid each are, and as good as the 76ers are with both of them, there is a limit because of how they play. And yeah. unless those two, I don't know, maybe moving Ben Simmons to power forward will really unlock a, a different aspects of his game. Uh, but it, I just, we haven't seen those two guys uh, maximize their talent together. We've seen them look awesome separately and Embiid look awesome when they're playing together. But both of them playing together, for both of them look really good. It hasn't happened. So maybe this is the combination. Uh, but I also think maybe there's just something to, to how both of them play, especially uh, with outside shooting and spacing and all that. Dan, speaking on behalf of Sixers fans, uh, what I hear you saying there is it's all Brett Brown's fault. <laughs> uh, <laughs> whether it is or isn't, it's, it's probably going to be. It's yeah, he's he's the fall guy there. I I think you're going to see fewer coaching changes than we had predicted. I don't think you're going to see the seven or eight or something we thought we'd see this off season, uh, just because of the tight timeline, the quick turnaround, the financial hit where owners are like, hey, do I really want to pay two coaches at once? I think you're going to see some guys keep their jobs, but Brett Brown would be I, Brett Brown's seat is still very warm along with Jim Boylan in Chicago. Um, but but in the same token, like the 76ers do have the ability to advance deep in the playoffs. Like they are, yeah. they're not stuck in some hopeless situation. They have the ability uh, to have a real impressive run. Speaking of predicting the high variance teams, is Rocket small ball going to work? I think so. Like I think we we've seen enough of it. Now, does that mean they're going to win the championship or uh, even get to the conference finals? No, not necessarily. But I, I think it works. I like how they play. I like that they've found an identity. Uh, they added Robert Covington, who fits in so well with yes. how they're, they're doing that. Uh, it unlocks Russell Westbrook's game. He's not a shooter, but he's aggressive. Now he's got the space to operate. In some ways, he's like a center. It's real creative. It works. It gives them a chance. Do you think it becomes a do you think it's a matchup thing for them in the first round? Like, who do they end up getting? Because I, I, I think they really would struggle, obviously, against the Lakers and Clippers because they're both athletic and long and all that. And but, but among the other teams, do you think it's kind of a matchup issue? Um, hmm, maybe. The, honestly, the first round matchup I most want to see across the league. Give me Thunder Rockets. Chris Paul going at his yes. old team. Russell Westbrook uh, going at his old team, but especially Chris Paul going at his old team. And I, I like the, the, the interesting matchup there. Uh, that's what I want to see because I don't know how it would go. Uh, the Rockets are going to play how they're going to play, and they've done a good job of kind of dictating the matchup. That's what has made their small ball work. Uh, and they, they've played very well that way. I don't know. I, I would 
of anybody in that, uh, let's say, three through seven range, I think the, the Rockets have the highest uh, ceiling. And I would also say uh, probably the highest median, too. Uh, yeah. Right around with, with Denver and Oklahoma City. Wow, you're higher on them. You're a little higher on them than I am. I, I, I it seemed to me like at the end teams were starting to figure them out, but I also think it just is there a team that can exploit them and take away some of the easy baskets, some of the things that they want to do. The other, the other factor that I think you have to put in with Houston though is James Harden is not fatigued. James Harden is not worn down this time around. He was not. He, he looked at a little bit during the season, like the load had caught up with him, and and they put more on Westbrook. And look, teams were. I get why teams were doubling him at half court. Like it was, it was a lot of that to ask of James Harden. He comes in refreshed, and that's that's a lot of points right there. <laughs> and that's a, that's a guy who's going to go get buckets and be able to do the step backs and do all the things that make him so incredibly dangerous. And uh, if they get a little defense and this thing comes together, watch out. I think fatigue is a much bigger deal of why they were slumping going into the the shutdown rather than teams figuring them out. And it's not just Harden, it's P.J. Tucker, too. He's asked to do so much as the small ball center defensively on the glass. It's a lot. And he's not a young player. And so if these guys are fresh, that's part of the reason I like them so much. Uh, I'm also not totally sure that James Harden's not going to be fatigued, right? We, we've heard that throughout the shutdown, he was just working out so much, working so hard. Uh, that wasn't necessarily the smart thing to do. I mean, maybe it was. Like, I, I hope it was. I'd like to see the, this team uh, at full strength longer. I enjoy watching them. But I, I don't know. After so many years of James Harden looking like he's running out of gas, I'm not sure I trust him to have the right regimen to be ready for a deep playoff run. Here's a prediction question I've just become more intrigued with the more I think about it. I think that there is going to be fatigue with players inside the bubble. And I don't just mean physical. I mean just the mental fatigue of all the restrictions that they have. Um, you know, Despite everything Disney put in place to make this, I, th- I think the league and, and Walt Disney World, it seems like did – and neither of us are in the bubble for a variety of reasons. Uh, but it sounds like Disney did everything they could to make this as entertaining and interesting and provide options for players to do and stuff. And, and you know, hey, they tried to put together a pool DJ party. I'm just telling you now, 300 guys are not going to go hang out with each other at a pool DJ party. There's a key factor missing in why guys go to pool parties. <laughs> it's just not there. Um, I couldn't believe when I saw that plan. I, I, think, I was like, I don't know. Like, I, I thought maybe I was missing something because I had the exact same thought as you. I was like, I, I don't know. It's like they're doing it. Maybe they talk to some players. Yeah, it's, it's, there's, yeah, again, I, it's not, it's not going to be the uh, Vegas pool party vibe for one key reason. So, I, the, um, I, but do you think that the the mental fatigue of the of the bubble and then guys kind of pushing back against that starts to wear on things? I, I'm curious how that starts to impact players and and by extension then games as this goes along or does it? But I mean, look, there's just so much. There's so many regulations around the players, like what they can and can't do. Yeah, I mean, it's going to depend on the player, but there are a couple of areas that stand out to me uh, of when it's going to hit hard. 
when a team is on the verge of elimination, I'm not sure how hard they're going to fight to stay in this yes. bubble, right? If, especially if you've been bad all year and you're going to get eliminated before the playoffs. Like, and, and some teams are going to get officially eliminated. Like, are players just going to leave, just go home, or are they going to, to, to play out yeah. the strength? Or how hard are they going to play? And also, you know, if you're down 3-0 in a playoff series. The other thing is when families arrive, for the teams that advance far enough, when players arrive, or I'm sorry, when families arrive, they have to quarantine. And I don't know how players are going to feel when their loved ones are right there, but they can't see them, right? There's The family is stuck in a room, and they're right there. And uh, I think that's going to be tough and uh, something to work through. But I do think as it goes along, right, the, the teams that advance the furthest, that are there the longest, that are dealing with this the longest, are the teams with a best chance, the best chance of winning a championship. So I think that kind of goes hand in hand. It's the teams that feel the most hopeless are going to have, their players are going to have the toughest time, but they'll be there the least. I wouldn't be shocked if uh, some team goes down 0-2 in the first round of the playoffs and suddenly a key player decides, I have a sprained ankle, I'm out. You know, um, I, I, there, there could be some of that going on. I just, I, I think that the fatigue will catch up, but I think you're right. I think for the teams really committed in this, they'll be able to push, push through and we'll see where this thing goes. And, and the team down 2-0 in that playoff series is more likely to be the team uh, that, that's the lower seed. They're not coming home for games three or four now. They're not getting that boost. I, yeah. I think we could see more sweeps rather than five game series. All right, let's talk actual predictions. Who do you think gets the eighth seed in the West? Yeah, that's a tough one. It is such a deep race. I think the Grizzlies are the choice. To me, the the harder question is uh, who would play them in a play-in. But the Grizzlies are up. Uh, They've got a good chance of being in eighth place going into the play-in just because they're up three and a half games. And once they're in the play-in, they only have to win one. Uh, the other team would have to win too, so I, I like their odds there. That's more of a mathematical pick than a strong yeah. belief in Memphis, but I'm not down on the Grizzlies relative to any of these other teams. None of them are that impressive. They're all okay. Yeah, well, I think the advantage they have, and, and deserve, by the way, for having the best record during the regular season, right? Like, they deserve the advantages they have. Make them, it's just, I don't want to say it's insurmountable, but it's going to be very difficult to get into the seeding game and then beat them too straight. I mean, that's still not a bad team. Um, they still got John Morant, although the lack of justice Winslow and everything they gave up to get him and now having Winslow, not there, that is a blow that hurts their depth a little bit. But at the end of the day, they've still got John Morant. It's not going to be easy to beat them two games in a row. And so th- they would be my pick. I still think Portland is the t- I mean, as tough as their schedule is. I think that they finally got everybody healthy. They're getting back together. And I, I know for a fact they're the team the Lakers, you know, I think Danny Green even said this, but I knew that they, this is the team they do not want to see in the first round. Understandably, this is a 53-win team from a year ago. And by the way, they've got Damian Lillard. I would prefer to avoid Damian Lillard in the first round of the playoffs. Well, it's uh, it's not the same team as last year. I do think Al Farouk Aminu and Mo Harkless were, were underrated for what they contributed to that team. I, I think Portland really misses both of them. And Portland has a huge hole at small forward. They really have most of the year. Trevor Ariza not playing uh, makes it even worse. Like, I don't trust Carmelo Anthony defensively, period, but especially not a, at small forward. I do. Th- the Blazers would be kind of my, my third choice. I think my second pick would, would be New Orleans. The Pelicans were playing so much better 
later in the season. They do have the easier schedule, too. Uh, everything since Zion started playing has come together so well. It's a, it's a talented team. Uh, so they would be my second choice, Portland third, and then everybody else yeah. uh, distant from there. I th- look, I think New Orleans has a real chance, assuming Zion is back, um, to, to make that push. And by the way, I think we can safely say that that is the team the executives at Turner ABC would most want to see against the Lakers in the in the first round, right? Like that would LeBron versus Zion, but more than that, you get all the sub all the subplots of of Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball against going back against the Lakers, Andrew um, Anthony Davis going back against the Pelicans. That's just a bunch of great storylines. That's that's going to just draw a lot of eyeballs to the first round. I I'm curious. Do you think that the I'm going to ask this, uh, it's a little off topic, but there's been this expectation that ratings were going to be very high because people are sports starved for this. Do you think that's going to be the case or with everything going on in the world, is there a, a dampening of excitement about this? Uh, I think both, right? I think uh, we're getting, I I hope, some perspective that, that basketball is not the most important thing, but but people can handle multiple things at once. I, I enjoy watching yeah. basketball. I, I think the, the social issues uh, th- that are at the forefront right now are important. I, I can handle both at once, and I think so can most people. Yeah. Um, all right. The East. Look, all season long we knew it was the Bucks, and the Bucks were the team to beat. Can anybody beat them, and who do you think is most likely? Uh, yes, I think they can be beaten. Uh, that's tough. I mean, R- R- Raptors, Celtics, 76ers, uh, I, I could pick any of them. Like, I think the 76ers have the highest ceiling and lowest floor of that group, and beating Milwaukee is somewhat about ceiling. That's why Philadelphia got Al Horford to go with Joel Embiid, like, to be able yeah. to match up with Giannis. I, I think the 76ers have been gearing up to that matchup. But I'm not sure they get to that matchup. I think the most likely team is probably Boston, but that depends somewhat on Kemba Walker's health. Jason Tatum took that next step. The Celtics have nice depth. They're, they're a team going in the right direction. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have a good answer. I guess I'll say Boston, uh, but who, who would you take as most likely to beat Milwaukee? Yeah, I would lean Boston. I'm with you on Philadelphia. Back to the, if they put it, if this thing came together, I think that their length is, their length in defense makes them a really interesting matchup with, with the Bucks, but I'm just not convinced they can beat them. What I like about Boston is your point guard, let's say Marcus Smart, who comes off the bench for them, but your point guard, then you go Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward. That's incredibly switchable. That's incredibly versatile. That's a bunch of guys who can create their own shot. You can get offense in different ways. Um, Daniel Thies has been good enough at center. I love teams that are versatile and switch a lot or, or, have a variety of ways to beat you in the playoffs, and I think they can do that. Um, what I like about Toronto, though, is that's a really good defensive team, second-best defensive team in the NBA. Uh, it's just another team that can – I think that that keeps them in games. I'm just – I'm not sure that they have the gear they had. Kawhi Leonard Kawhi Leonard's really good at basketball, man. He's a gear that got them where they needed to be. I'm not sure that they can still get there, but – um, so I'll take Boston as the most likely, but I, I'm curious to see how the Bucks respond. Is this the year the Bucks? I mean, they've been close. They've 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 had. It's felt like they're just like one player away, or just everything hadn't quite come together. I think Mike Budenholzer has got to be. 
There has to be a better plan B, right? There has to be a better, all right, what we did all year isn't working perfectly in this matchup. How do we adjust? And I don't think we saw last year. I don't think we saw enough minutes from Giannis, right? He was right. just not, he was not willing to put Giannis out there 44 minutes a night. You've got to. Like, that's what you have him for, especially at this age. It's not like, well, I was about to say LeBron, but LeBron, again, is not human. Okay. But I mean, like, you, you, he's not an older player where you need to think about his minutes as much in a, in a playoff setting. Just, you've got to get him out there. And hopefully the Bucks learn some lessons from that and come back a little harder. I still think the Bucks come out of this in the East, but if you told me somebody else did, I'd probably take Boston as my bet. Would you take the Bucks or the field? To win the East, I'll take the Bucks. Yeah, I would but too. It's close. Yeah, I'd say like fifty-five percent, maybe. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, which is like huge odds for Milwaukee as a single team. Like, that's a lot of confidence yeah. by both of us in the Bucks. Uh, but when you have you know multiple other teams that could beat them, uh, splitting those odds, yeah, I think it's pretty close. But I, I would also take the Bucks over the field. All right. Do you think any? We've talked about. I don't know that we talked much about Denver. I'm. Personally, Dan, still not a big believer that this comes together for them in the playoffs, but we'll see. Uh, with all due respect to skinny Jokic, um, do you think anybody's a real threat to the to the two LA teams? And is it basically the Battle of LA played out three thousand miles away in the West? Well, in a normal year, I would I would say probably. I, I guess I can only give my normal year answer. I just want to give the caveat of I have no idea, right? Like yeah, the exactly. Lakers could come back so sluggish, or this or that, like. I just think there's so much more room for variance that as much ahead of the pack as they have looked, I don't think that means quite as much. I do think in a normal year, though, I do see the Rockets as a legitimate threat for all the reasons we talked about. I just think their upside is that high, uh, especially against the Lakers. The Lakers tend to be a bigger team. I I think the Rockets, and and then lost some of that guard depth. Uh, I think the the Rockets can pose some matchup problems. I still think the Lakers are better. I still think the Lakers would probably win. Uh, I also think the Clippers have the wing depth to play Houston style with the Rockets and just be better than the Rockets at that style without having to worry about it. Uh, But I do think the Rockets would have a fighting chance in either of those series. I'm curious who you see. And then this is a a similar question. But to me, the top tier of championship contenders, uh, I'm sure you'd agree with this, Bucks, Lakers, Clippers, whatever order you want to put them in, what team would you have next? Uh, That is a good question. I think I think I would have Boston next. I think that they're the team with the ceiling and they might be a player away, but I think that they're the team with the ceiling. And like I said, the versatility I like the reason I've picked the Clippers all year and, and we'll take them again now in a matchup is back to that versatility. This, I think again, this is assuming Montrezl Harrell and, and Patrick Beverly are back. They can play bigger. Uh, you know, Zubox is a solid NBA center. They can play big. They can play small. They can beat you a variety of ways, and they've got a very experienced coach in Doc Rivers, and I just like teams that can throw that kind of versatility at you in the postseason, which is why I've why I've got the why I've got the uh, the Clippers as look. I'm picking them to win it all. I've I've had them to win it all all year. I'm not changing that, but I think it's almost a coin toss with them and the Lakers. I mean. LeBron James and Anthony Davis are such a good pairing and they've got good pieces around them. And Frank Vogel can coach, by the way. You know what stopped him from winning a lot in Indiana? LeBron. 
<laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it, at the end of the day, like I think Vogel can coach. I think the Lakers are right there. And uh, what, probably, what, what stopped him from winning much in Orlando? Um, Orlando. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think it's interesting if we're going to go on a little tangent that I think might apply to Tom Thibodeau with the Knicks. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I don't think Vogel did a good job in Orlando. I think he, he did an no, excellent job and an excellent job with the Lakers. And uh, I'm not sure what changed. Like, Vogel picked the magic. He could have had any job. Like, he was in demand coming off yep. the run he had with the Pacers. People thought Larry Bird was crazy for, for getting rid of Vogel. And he picked Orlando, right? That that roster wasn't great. But, you know, Vogel chose it. He had other options, and they were miserable. Do you think Thibodeau can work in New York? Can, yes. Uh, will, probably not. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment based on history. And, and also just... Once again, nothing against Leon Rose hasn't addressed the media, and I, we haven't seen enough. It's it's too early to say they're, what they're trying to do there. I, mean, I don't want to. Oh, he doesn't have a plan because it's just too early to say he doesn't have a plan. But I need to see a plan. I still haven't seen a. I don't have a vision of what they're trying to do yet. So we'll see. I've been I've been impressed with the thoroughness of this coaching search, at least on paper. Like so much talk that is just going to be Thibodeau. Maybe they're just going through the motions. But I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt that they are taking all these candidates they're talking to seriously. And that's what you should do. Even if you have a preconceived uh, idea of who you want to hire, you should run a, a wide coaching search and see what you learn. If you like somebody more than Tom Thibodeau, that'd be great. If you don't, uh, Thibodeau has certainly a good resume befitting of an NBA coach. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think I am curious to see he said he said all the right things about you know, look, I think we know the flaws of playing as veterans and, and look, all coaches want to win right now, but I think he did that. At the, he didn't buy into, not even didn't buy into the analytics, but didn't buy into the science of, of resting guys. And there's some stuff he seems to have learned from that. He talks, he talked extensively about watching how Doc Rivers coached um, and nobody rests his veterans. Like the, nobody practices less like, but he seemed to have taken something away from that. So we'll see, you know, people evolve, they grow, they improve at what they do. And, and Thibodeau is a, certainly a guy who's passionate and studies. And, and if the Knicks hire him, I think it could work, but I believe James Dolan still owns the team. So I, I still have my doubts. So, so you, you, who are you picking to win it all? Who's your title pick? Uh, mine is also the, the, the Clippers. I, I mean, I don't see much separation between the Clippers, Bucks, and Lakers. Yeah. I like the Clippers for all the reasons you said. And uh, a couple big ones that you didn't, that I think you're just taking for granted, but I just want to get these on the record. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, right? Yeah. Like, I know when we start to talk about those top teams, you're like, well, the Bucks have, have Giannis and, and uh, Chris Middleton. Middleton. The, 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 the Lakers have LeBron Anthony Davis. The Clippers have Kawhi and Paul George. You, you, we can just kind of take for granted that uh, these top teams have at least one superstar and then uh, maybe more. But it's worth saying, like the Clippers have, I mean, Kawhi Leonard might be the best player in the NBA right now. I'm not sure he is, but he's at least in the discussion as our players on the Lakers and Bucks. Uh, And so it's the fringe things you brought up where I agree with you, that gives the Clippers the edge. But the only reason they're in the discussion, uh, this might be obvious, I just want to say it, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. You know what? Kawhi Leonard is not going to win MVP this year. Uh, votes will be in over the next week, by the way. Giannis will win MVP. But I'm with you. I think Kawhi is for a short stretch because he just doesn't play enough games, right? Like, he's really good defensively. He still does everything he's supposed to do. He's just, because of his physical condition and everything, he's not playing. 
He's not playing Giannis number of games. He's not lifting his team to that height. So he's not going to win MVP. But in a when we get down to the playoffs, I think he is every bit as good as as LeBron James or Giannis. As and when you're talking about the very best players in the league for the playoffs, and yeah, he can look. That that's what that at the bottom line is what put the Clippers as the the as your and I mine picks. And since based on our history of picks, Dan, people should rush out and bet on every other team. <laughs> uh, are we that bad? We might be. I don't answer that. All right. Let me just remind everybody before we go and before I say goodbye to Dan, man, we are just one year out Thursday, July 23rd. The Tokyo Olympics will start, man. I'm just excited to watch everybody get together, man. Celebration, competition, unity. We just miss having that spirit, that sports spirit, that human spirit together. Tokyo will welcome the best athletes in the world. Yeah, we're going to see NBA guys, and we'll see which guys are there. But Simone Biles will be there. Katie Ledecky, Allison Felix. We are going to make history on NBC Sports, the biggest games. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Dan, thanks again for doing this. We'll be back regularly uh, talking NBA now through the uh, through the finals. And everybody, we'll talk to you next week.